So we're continuing in this series called Secrets of Love, and it has been a tremendous series. Last week, we heard a great message from Devin and Tia about how they navigate conflict, and uh, hopefully that was really helpful for a lot of us. And next week, Talbot will be back to conclude and finish up the series. Um, but today, we have a really um, special treat for you, and, we'll get, and I'll be introducing our special guest here in just a moment. But just kind of give you a little bit of a history of Good Shepherd and where we've been over the last several years. Not too long ago, maybe, actually it feels like forever ago, it was all pre-COVID, so that's like a million years ago now, it feels like, um, we sat down as a church and decided we need to revisit um, our values, the things that kind of our heartbeat, what are the things that make us do what we do, why? Why do we do what we do? And we started to kind of really work through some of those different things, and where we kind of landed was there was a, um, several different ways that we needed to express our values a little bit differently, and there's two I wanted to share with you this morning, and one was that we are passionate about healthy families, passionate about healthy families. And if you've been here over the last several years, you've seen that we've really had a huge emphasis on something called the beautiful marriage movement. It's a vision that we've had to really just see that um, Charlotte and the area around us transform, to see marriages transform, to see not just um, the divorce rate go down and decrease, but to see marriages truly flourish and be strong and strengthened. And so we've done a lot of things um, as a church to help live into that value. And another one of our values is that spiritual growth happens intentionally. I think sometimes it's very easy to think, well, I come to church, I show up, I give, um, I serve, I do all of these things, and so I'm just spiritually mature now. And we believe that those are all good things to do, but at the, at the core of it, spiritual growth also requires a level of intentionality. God is intentional in everything that he does. And so he gives us the opportunity to be intentional as well. And so we wanted to make sure that we provided different steps and different things that you all could be using to help strengthen your relationships, particularly around marriage. And all of that being said is that we, we believe that all of the foundation of a lot of those things is about learning how to have healthy relationships. And we believe that Jesus gives us the framework of what a healthy relationship looks like. And I wanted to read to you all, share with you all from Philippians, which is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And he says this in chapter two, starting in verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then I love this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We believe that having that mindset of Christ Jesus has an effect on every relationship in our lives, whether that's in our marriages, whether that's with our children or with our coworkers or with our friends, whatever it is that we ought to have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Well, yesterday here at the church, we had a, um, an incredible time here. We had a marriage masterclass, and there were about 150 couples that were filled up in this room, and they were learning some incredibly powerful tools to help strengthen their marriage. And to lead us through that discussion, we had some incredible guests that we, I would love to introduce to you now, and they're going to come up and tell you all about their ministry. Would you join me in welcoming Tony and Elisa DiLorenzo to the platform? Hello, DeLorenzos. Welcome back. Come on up and have a seat. Well, welcome again. So good to have you all here with us. 
And um, we would love to just get to know you, to know a little bit about your ministry and the kind of work that you're doing around marriages. And in particularly, more not to start off with to just tell us what you're doing now, we'd love to kind of know, like, how did you get to be to the place where you're at? Because something that you guys need to know is that when you, if you look for marriage podcasts, the, the, these are the ones. These are them. You know, these are the ones that have been doing this, and they have the largest, biggest, coolest, best um, podcast for marriage in the country, like, hands down. It's incredible. And so how did you get to that place, and where did marriage ministry start for you, y'all? We never intended to be in marriage ministry. In fact, if you had asked us 15, 20 years ago, we'd been like, nah, um, because we were really dysfunctional. Uh, about 15, 16 years ago, we found ourselves in a world of hurt. Our kids were two and five, and we were contemplating divorce for the second time. And it was out of being married to a big visionary, guy with big ideas, um, that God completely transformed our marriage and then led us into a place where he said, this isn't just for you. You need to actually start telling other people and sharing with other people and equipping other people with tools and strategies to make their marriage extraordinary as well. Awesome. And so there was, uh, there was kind of that moment where maybe the marriage was having some major issues, but there was kind of an event that you were kind of, that kind of sparked your interest and uh, kind of maybe even got this thing kind of moving a little bit more. What was that like, Tony? Yeah, so we were married 11 years, and to say the least, Elisa and I had been living like roommates for most of those years. And so we were watching a new segment, evening news segment for some friends. Um, their kids were on it. But the next segment that came up is what transformed where we are today. We were about to lead a small group study on the Song of Solomon with uh, a handful of couples at our church because I believe that we needed to be talking about sexual intimacy in the church. And this next segment that came up was intriguing because it was two couples and each of them had taken on sex challenges. And I'm sitting there going, this is interesting. We're about to lead a small group study on the Song of Solomon and our marriage, like I said, wasn't in a good place. Really at that point in time in our marriage, we had three options. One, get a divorce. Two, wait till our youngest turns 18. And by the way, our youngest turned 18 in November of this past year. So we would have been looking at divorce or three, get radical. And so I looked at Elisa at this point in time and I said, what do you think about doing a 60 day sex challenge? And truth be told, I said no immediately. Um, very, I'm not even sure Tony finished the, the statement or the question, um, but. And, and was it wasn't like, just that she said no, she went into the bathroom and I'm thinking, all right, well maybe tonight. And she comes out with this green face mask. Not tonight. And I'm like, well, okay. But God has a funny way of meeting you in those places of brokenness. And the very next day, I was standing in our garage with a basket full of laundry, and I heard the voice of God say, are you not even willing to try? He's not asking you for anything crazy. He's asking you to make him a priority for two months. Are you not willing to try? And uh, at first, I told God he was wrong, um, which is why he kept talking to me and being like, I don't think I'm wrong. Um, but that was the beginning of a crazy adventure that is where we are today. But you know, a lot of people hear that story and they think it's all about the sexual intimacy, but really it was about what we discovered about marriage, about connecting with one another, about what it meant to put our marriage first for the first time in our lives. So how did that go from 
a 60-day challenge to a conversation with you and the Lord to working through in a life group to where it is today, kind of what's been that process of kind of what we see now through One Extraordinary Marriage? Yeah, and so through that process, uh, our family pastors found out about what we had done through our small group, and the next year they asked us to the marriage getaway and to speak at that. And so we got up, first time ever speaking, didn't really intend to, it was just sort of like, hey, this is what we did. Um, and what came out of that was beyond what Elise and I had expected. They're, we were going right into date night, but the next day we heard from many of the couples as well as the pastors from, from them saying, Tony and Lisa, what is, what's next? What are you gonna do next? And honestly to myself, I'm like, I'm running a business. I got a, at that point a six and a three-year-old. Elise and I are good. I don't know what's next. We're good. Um, but the nudging kept happening, Chris. And that's when we finally said, all right, it's time to do something. And I don't know how many of you have heard of podcasting 14 years ago. Not yeah, many. Yeah, that laughter yeah. says it all. So, but we heard about podcasting, and so we got behind our microphone in January 2010 and have been podcasting for the last 14 years, over 790 episodes, sharing the journey of our marriage and those in the one family, which is what we call our community now. That's incredible. Uh, um, 790. It's a lot of episodes. Um, that's a whole lot. But the content is incredible, and it covers just, uh, just I don't know, the gamut of everything you can think of as it relates to relationships, um, which probably is a really testament to the fact that you guys have fresh content all the time because you have a real marriage. And so there's always new things that come up when you're married, um, especially as you've you know seen your kids grow and everything else. Um, so you shared yesterday, like, you have, a, you have a book that you've written called The Six Pillars of Intimacy. And... Um, Yesterday at the seminar, and we're trying to catch you all up. If you missed yesterday, it's okay, but we want to let you know it's not the last time we're going to do this sort of thing. But we're trying to catch you up on two hours worth of content pretty quick, and because we just want, it's really important and valuable, and we just thought that it could be something that can apply, parts of it could be applied to every different type of relationship. And so when you wrote this book, this idea of the six pillars, um, I'd love it if you could first just kind of tell us what the six pillars are and then just kind of help us unpack the idea, the metaphor of a pillar. Absolutely, the six pillars are emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, financial intimacy, spiritual intimacy, recreational intimacy, and sexual intimacy. And the idea behind the pillars, when I was crafting this book, researching it, really thinking it, like how are we gonna describe this? Um, I got this image of pillars. And if you've seen pillars, or you, know, you can call them columns, but six columns of intimacy doesn't sound good, so. Six pillars. Um, but columns are really beautiful. They bring beauty to a structure. Pillars also are in this place where they can you know, hold a lot of strength, but they also bring strength. And so when you're in this place of understanding the pillars, it's looking at your marriage and going, how do we beautify our relationships? How do we bring strength to our relationships? And how do we set ourselves up to hold the weight of what the relationships are? So when she said, this is what we're going to be talking about, it's going to be all based on pillars. You immediately thought, you know, Greek and, you know, looking powerful. and you're Roman. Have... I'm Italian, so we'll, we'll, we'll go perfect. with Roman even pillars. Even better. Even better. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and so as we kind of talked through this whole idea, the notion of um, pillars, it is a really strong metaphor. Um, and I think that it's something that as we kind of look at each one of those and how important each one is to be worked on separately, um, you, you take us through a little bit of uh, the... the at least through the first one, that emotional intimacy. How would you first, let's, let's back up for a second. It's six pillars of intimacy. What's intimacy? Yeah, 
So let's start with intimacy. When you hear the word intimacy, what comes to mind? You can say it. You're whispering it. Yeah, we hear in it. marriage, what do you think of when you, you can think say of intimacy? It. It's okay. Society has stolen Someone's that word. There. And truly. There it is. Someone keeps whispering it. Yeah. Sex. Sex. There we go. Awesome. We can do it. It's Sunday morning. Um, but intimacy, truly the definition to intimacy is closeness and connection. And so Elisa and I wanted to take that word and bring it so couples could understand that what we really and truly desire with one another and with our Heavenly Father is closeness and connection. Absolutely. And I love that because I, I, I do feel that that is a misnomer that we see in the church a lot, that we do talk about intimacy even in re-engage, um, is this this misapplication of that. And I, and I think it's important that all of you kind of work around what's, what does it really mean to have intimacy? Because then we go, oh, well, that's just for married people. No, intimacy is, is it's a universal idea, that closeness and connection. And you can have intimacy, um, he mentioned, with your heavenly father. That, when I hear that definition, I'm like, well, that's what I want with God. I want to be able to have that closeness and connection to my heavenly father. I want to have that with my spouse. I want to have that with my kids. And I want to be able to have that with the relationships that are around me. So Throughout the series, we've been talking about emotional health that related to intimacy. Could you help us maybe unpack what emotional intimacy is? Yeah, emotional intimacy is that closeness and connection that comes from sharing your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires. It's the verbal and the nonverbal communication. It's what you say. It's how you say it. And it's when you say it. But it's being in this place where you're going to share everything. I mean, God gave us the ability to think, right? But so many times... We have all these thoughts going on up here, but they don't necessarily come out here, and that's a real challenge in marriage. Yeah, when we look at our emotional intimacy, like Elisa said, sometimes it's the tone and the timing of those words, but all of us know the crossed arms, the look away. Somebody says something to you, and you just sort of show them your back. That speaks volumes, and I think we've all been there. What, what would be some, um, some practical ways that we can develop emotional intimacy? Well, I want to say first, and I'm glad you said practical ways to develop it, because emotional intimacy is a skill. Any of the intimacies. This is about skill development. It's not like somebody's born with it and, you know, you just you either have it or you don't. It's stepping into this place to say, what, where, am I, where am I lacking, right? What can I develop when it comes to understanding what my feelings are, right? I, we talk a lot of times about using a tool like an emotion wheel. Very practical. Amazon sells them. You, know, you can have it here tomorrow. Um, but learning what you are actually feeling. We live in a society that just gives us like five, like I'm either happy, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm scared, but there's so much more depth to it. It's also getting curious about who you are and who your spouse is. I don't know if you remember when you were dating. Does anybody remember when they were dating their spouse? Anyone? Okay. A couple. A couple of you, good. You asked a lot of questions. You wanted to know who they were. Get curious again. They're, they're not the same person they were when you married them. I promise you. Simply being married to you for a little while, they're different. They're different. Find out who they are now. Yeah, and as Elisa said, it's skill development. What you see here today, we've been married 27 years now. And thank you for those couple of claps. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's amazing. I know. We're going go, to go the long haul now. Um, but what you see here now isn't what and who we were at year 11, when we took on that first challenge. And if you begin to listen to the One Extraordinary Marriage Show and you go to episode one, please give us grace 
Because what you hear there isn't what you hear here now. It's skill development. We were determined and we, de we desired to have that closeness and connection with our emotional intimacy. So we took time each week. Ours was just behind a microphone, 30 minutes, and we just have a conversation with one another. And that's how our emotional intimacy has strengthened. And that's how we strengthened that pillar. That's awesome. So I do know that there's going to be um, uh, a lot of people that might be here, uh, speaking to married people, that you might be married to your opposite. You might be married to someone who is just, me, I'm a, I'm a verbal processor. I love to, um, whatever's up here gets to come out and you get to deal with it unfiltered. If you like it, that's fine. If not, it might be the first time I've ever thought of it and it just is coming out of my mouth. And then you have others that you, you hold everything in very deeply and it's hard to get those words out. You have a hard time communicating. What are maybe some strategies or some ideas for people who are like married to their opposite? First of all, it's okay to be married to your opposite. It's not the end of the world. You just have to learn how to bridge that gap together. Um, I am one, I am the process, everything happens up here and then I like work through it. Um, give your spouse grace if they are a processor and they need to think it through first, but also create time. It's so easy to say nowadays, oh, I'm too busy or you know, that'll wait till later. Time is one of our most precious commodities. So setting aside time each week to have a conversation, to figure out what that best way is. We asked a question yesterday, and I'll just share it with all of you. What's the best way and the best time for us to connect and have a conversation? You might not know what that is for you and your spouse, but being able to have that conversation allows you to be intentional and create that opportunity to connect. Yeah, and if, if you're the, you need to verbally process like Elisa and I, we've had to learn this in our own marriage. I come from a big Italian family. You just say stuff. Like things just get said and it can get loud at times. And Elisa does have to process what is being said. And so what we have learned over the years is, hey, I said what I had to say. I've shared it. Now go take 24 hours. Just think through what you gotta do. Write it out, journal it, write it. Whatever she has to do. And then let's come back together and just go for a walk and talk. And we call it our walk and talks because we get out, we get shoulder to shoulder, we're moving, and then we can talk a little easier instead of being knee to knee, eye to eye, across from one another. And so you can bridge the gap. It's just understanding your spouse and giving each other some time and sometimes even some space between those conversations if needed. And I, I love this, this metaphor of a pillar um, because it's, it's pretty versatile because then you even talk about like when there's the difference between there's cracks in some of those pillars and when they're strong. Could you kind of help us understand maybe for those of us that are wondering like, where are we at with our own emotional health? What are some like potential danger signs? What are some cracks that could be going on? So I will throw myself under the bus um, because you know, we're always super transparent. But when I am not emotionally strong, I have a tendency to shut down. I will immediately retreat if Tony even raises his voice just a little bit. I will go stone face, kind of like those pillars, um, totally stone face, and I will not engage because I am emotionally disconnected at that point in time. On the flip side, I'm married to a man who, when he feels emotionally disconnected, he gets a lot louder, which is a really fun combination going back to that whole opposites thing. Um, but that's, those are like the two telltale ways. You may also find that your words get a lot more intense or harsh or mean when there are cracks in your emotional intimacy because you aren't feeling like you're heard. And so, you know, volume goes up, the intensity of the words. But it's understanding, hey, we're not connected. There's none of that closeness and connection. Something's happening between the two of us and we need to take action on it. Yeah. 
And what about some um, places that you kind of know when that pillar is strong? What are some signs that it's going well? I would say some of the signs when we are strong, and you will see it as well, there's a loving, there, there's a loving tone to when you're speaking to one another. There's the glances, the looks. Um, it goes even into a little bit of that physical intimacy, that non-sexual touch, but you're able to hold each other's hands, you're hugging one another, and there's just an ability to free flow those conversations without any hindrance. Walls don't come up, you don't get defensive, and you're able to just flow with the conversation knowing that you have each other's backs. You're on the same team. You're fighting with each other and not against each other. That's good. So. For those maybe who aren't married here today or maybe maybe will be married someday or are single, you know, why is this still important? Like the idea, the concept of having emotional intimacy and having this be a strong pillar in our own relationships. Where have you seen this kind of played out? I, I just want to say something real quick and then I want you to jump in. Elise and I uh, at our home church um, a few years ago, we decided to lead what we call a connect group for young adults. And so we've actually taken our young adults, 19 to 29-year-olds, through the six pillars of intimacy and helped them to understand, like, they can use all of these pillars with where they are just in relationship with others, um, be it dating or engaged. And then once they get married, we kick them out into another group, so... <laughs> We like to say they're promoted they're to promoted. a married uh, life group. But the reality is, is, and we even frame the fact that sexual intimacy with this, because they're all single or dating, we're like, that's the one you save for when you're married. Um, but our children have grown up with hearing about the six pillars of intimacy. So we've been able to, it, it starts to become this place where it's not just between a husband and a wife, it's who are, who are the people you're talking to? or interacting with on a daily basis. You have an opportunity to be able to share your thoughts, feelings, desires, to be able to communicate in a way that draws people in and creates connection with everyone that you talk to. So it's not just like, well, this is just how I like treat my husband. It's not, no, this is, like I choose connection with people. Yeah, yeah you shared something about even how this worked out with your kids. Yeah, and I was gonna say, as, as a parent, I'm so glad Elise and I took that step so many years ago, willing, taking a willingness step to, to strengthen this pillar because we have our 18-year-old daughter, Abigail, and it's interesting for those of you who have parents, especially teenagers, like she gets up and she's sort of a little grumpy and I'm happy in the morning. So I've learned not to like really, Very happy. Like really engage her in the morning. He's so chipper. I'm like, let's go. Like the day's ahead, like let's go. God's given us this day. And she's just sort of like, dad, I'm like, good morning, and she's out the door. But it's really interesting over the years, Elise and I will be in bed and, and we're ready for bed. And Abby will just jump on in and sit at the edge of the bed and all of a sudden she'll just tell us what's been going on. And then sometimes if her friends are with her too, her friends will come on in and they'll all just sit on the edge of our bed and just start chatting away and you know, half an hour, 45 minutes later, it's like, all right, dad's ready for bed, girls. Um, but. It's, we've engaged, they've seen Elisa and I do it so they feel comfortable coming in. My son and our son is 21 years old now, uh, big guy, football player, but Alex would come down and we love football and so he'll come down and I'll be on the couch and he'll just sit down right next to me, he'll just plop down right next to me and he's 6'2", 230, he's a big kid and uh, he'll just sit there and I'll, put my, I'll just put my hand on his knee and he'll just start chatting and he's not a talker. He's not a talker. And I mean, I, I usually like during the day, I'm like trying to pull things out of this kid. Hey, how are you doing? How's work? How are your buddies? 
but he'll just sit there and we'll just start talking football and he'll just start opening up about things that's going on and, and we'll just have these cool little conversations. And so when you engage yourselves and you grow, it can permeate into other areas of your life, your kids, your community, here even at the church, it can happen. Awesome. So I, I think that's very, going back to the question you asked us around that pillar, I think that's a great way of kind of like figuring out, because sometimes our kids don't know how to articulate how to answer that question, when's the best time to communicate with you. With your spouse, I do think that's a great homework assignment for all of us today, um, is to um, talk to your spouse or talk to your kids and ask them, hey, what is the best time for us to communicate and to be able to talk and share? Because um, I think it's important sometimes if we don't ask those questions, sometimes we just we can just not really have the answer. And so even though your kids didn't tell you, hey, my, your daughter's saying the best time to connect with me is if I come into your room at 1130 at night when you're trying to go to sleep. But that's what my kids do too. And, um, and it's always a gift. You know, it's easy to get frustrated about it. But the reason that they do that is because they've, they sense that's, that um, the ability to be vulnerable and to have that sense of closeness and want to share. Um, so I love it. You know, he may not get up, my son may not get up till 11 a.m., but it's okay. He'll come and talk to me at 1130, and it's, it's at night. It's fine. It's really fine. It's fine. Um, it's fine. It's fine. So, As he sits here in service. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. um, he's here somewhere. He'll, yes. he'll get over it. Um, so we talked about the other, um, the, the first pillar quite a bit. We don't have a lot of time to go into the other five. And you mentioned the five. Could you briefly re recap the five again and maybe explain just quickly, break down what those are? You're, oh, okay. Sure. I get to start. Um, so emotional intimacy is the one we've been talking about. Pillar number two is your physical intimacy, and this is your non-sexual touch. I see a lot of it happening around here with arms around one another, with hands being held. It's those touches that just say, hey, I see you, and you're important to me, right? I'm just gonna reach out and touch someone. Yep. And next is financial intimacy, and I know a lot of you hear those two words together and you're going like, what? But again, intimacy is closeness and connection. And so how are we close in connection with maybe our budget? Uh, a cash flow plan. For some of you, maybe around like life insurance, if you're looking at that time of life, or it may be your wills, your trusts, that's what your financial intimacy, anything that has to do with your money. Pillar number four is your spiritual intimacy. That's something we've often heard in church, but so often in church, it refers to our relationship with God. Spiritual intimacy is also a very strong component of a marriage. How do the two of us build our faith together? How do we share what's going on with us spiritually? And how do we grow? Kind of like that one slide, you know, talking about spiritual growth intentionally. How do we do that as a couple going all the way back to Genesis 2? Yeah. And next is recreational intimacy. And that is the activity and fun we have together. So think about this pillar as dates fun ways that we get to go out and enjoy one another, whatever it may be from activities outdoors to playing cards or other things to just have fun. As a married couple, we should be having more fun than single folks. So this is this pillar, so go have fun. And the sixth pillar is sexual intimacy. And this is, this is the one everybody thinks we should, you know, I should have started with when I wrote the book, but really it's understanding that all of those five that come before really do develop and grow strong sexual intimacy. And it's looking at, you know, more than just intercourse, what does that look like in terms of romance and initiating? How do we connect that way? Yeah, and I think it's, I think what I love about that is like you have these very six strong pillars and they have to work together, Yes. right? You know, it's, it's one of those things to say that if you look at your marriage and you go, I've got one, one that's really strong and five that are just like, I mean, that's, it's a great tool to be able to kind of help diagnose like how are we doing, 
you know, so that you don't get to the place where all of a sudden, oh, how did we get to here to this place where everything just kind of fell, fell down? And I, I was really appreciative yesterday um, as I was listening, and you guys got to that first question about what's the best time to connect. Well, Lauren was sitting with me in the back, and her and I were talking and sharing that, um, you know, that sometimes texts aren't the best way to, they're a good way to catch up during the day, but they're not really a good way to really be able to share thoughts and feelings. And maybe in a phone call during the day, it's not really great because neither one of us are in the right place. So where, where do we need to be? And what we have found is that we go on these great walks together, and that's a great time for us to connect. But here's kind of what's really interesting about it. That's that fifth pillar they were talking about, recreational intimacy. You know, sometime last year, I turned 45 and middle-aged kind of kicked in and I finally decided, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very middle-aged now and I have to, uh, officially, I guess, and I have to start acting like a middle-aged person and somewhat caring about what I eat, even though I'm not gonna change what I eat, but I'm gonna somehow be care careful about it. <laughs> Um, and uh, so, because I love French fries. You mentioned French fries, I love them. They're it's just great. They're it's beautiful, it's a beautiful, they're a gift from God. Um, <laughs> and so I said, I'm gonna start getting in shape. I wanna go on walks. You know, I'm not a gym guy. I, I just, if getting on a treadmill or a bicycle and going nowhere is just not my thing. If that's your thing, great, not my thing. I like to feel the, the wind against my face and to be able to kind of feel like I'm moving towards something and have that reward of getting back to my house. And so I told Lauren, I said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna start walking and getting in shape and losing some weight. And, um, and she says, no, thank you. I was like, I'd love for you to do it with me. She goes, no, thank you, I don't wanna do that. And I said, why don't you wanna do that? And she was like, indignant, like angry about it. And I was like, why? She goes, because you're gonna lose weight and I'm not. <laughs> and I mean, it is funny, but it's true. You know, it's like <laughs> women like lose weight differently than guys, especially when they are north of 40. It's just, it, your body's change. And so it can be a very disappointing Time and, and that frustration was there, and so she kind of went into it, you know, I'm gonna do it, but I'm not gonna lose weight, I'm gonna be angry. And so we started going on these walks pre-routinely, walking about for an hour, about four um, miles or so around our neighborhood, and we've gotten to know a lot of our neighborhood really, really well, uh, walking around. And what it turned into was this incredible time of just connecting and talking. And so we started having the best conversations that we probably have ever had in years. And we started going through this process of going, well, I'm just gonna get in shape and start recreating. But now we look forward as like to a place of, hey, I really wanna connect with you. You know, so even though they're different and they're distinct pillars, they, they still strengthen one another. And so for us, they've been in incredibly important. Now here's the funny part. Well, first of all, let me say that my kids said me trying to get in shape at 45, I went and bought myself a, an Apple Watch and they said that's my midlife crisis. And I was like, <laughs> I'll take it, there are more expensive midlife crises to have, but mine apparently is technology. Um, but here's the funny part, she's lost more weight than I have. So it's kind of funny how it goes. So, so now I complain, and I'm like, yeah, exactly, it's not fair. Um, it's the french fries. Um, so um, anyway, but I, I just love that idea of what you guys are talking about. I've seen it kind of work out even in my own life, and I think it's just a powerful tool that others can use, and we want other people here at Good Shepherd to be able to take advantage of that. So we have the book, The Six Pillars. Yep. Um, in addition um, um, to the book, you know, that you have your podcast. Where do they need to go in order to find this information? What would be the first place to go? Yeah, the best place to go is oneextraordinarymarriage.com. You can see it up there on the screen. I would take a picture. I know it's long. But you know what? When we started this, we had some other weird name when we started. And when we landed on extraordinary, um, we truly believe that was a God-ordained word because we truly believe that every couple desires to have their own extraordinary marriage, and you can too. 
and just before warning, when you go to the website, they do talk a lot about sexual intimacy, and it's an important thing. So when you go, don't be shocked when you get to the website and you see some of the things that are on there. I mean, for some of you, it might be like, whoa, this is, this is getting me way further down the conversation than I was prepared. I would say hang in there, listen to some of their podcasts, and give them a chance, and I guarantee you that it's going to be very helpful information that's going to help you grow in, um, in every pillar, but particularly in that one as well. Um, in addition to the book, what are some other ways that couples can, they can read it together, but what can they do to kind of work through it together? Well, you know, immediately after writing the book, somebody said, I want to go deeper with this material. Do you have a workbook? I was like, I just wrote the book. What are you talking about? Um, but I did write the Six Pillars of Intimacy workbook, and it literally goes section by section as a companion to the book to dig deeper into the material, to be able to ask those questions. You've heard me say that once or twice this morning. Um, to be able to ask the questions, not just of your spouse, but also of yourself, so that you can really not just read it, but actually interact with the material. That's awesome. So in addition to that, building that emotional intimacy part of it, of getting to know one another and having that connection. You actually have a resource that you shared with all of us um, yesterday, and we wanted to make that available to all of you as well. Something about asking good questions. Yeah. And so what we'd love to do for all of you is we have our book called Connect Like You Did When You First Met, 101 Proving Questions Get your phone for out. Couples. And many of you may be sitting out there going like, well, what question do I ask? I mean, Chris has asked wonderful questions. Right, but you're probably sitting there going like, well, great, well, what do I ask? I've been married 20 years. 101 questions, open it up, pick a question, answer it, let your spouse answer it, you answer it. If you don't like the question you land on, go to another one, it's okay, and it's gonna cover all six pillars. That's awesome. Well, Tony and Elisa, you guys are amazing, fantastic. We're so grateful that you have joined with us. We're so grateful for your ministry. We're proud of both of you, and thank you for being such a great example. So thank you for having that. us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Good Shepherd Church. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely.